You're listening to audio from Plank Row Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org. Old buddy, Vanessa, and my other old buddy, uh, I forgot, uh, I forgot his name, oh, Mr. Olson's father-in-law. Tony, Tony, yeah. We had some, it's been a long time. It's been a while since I've seen him. But that is a good, good man of God right there. He's wore down. That's, he's kind of wore down from all that praying and, and loving the Lord over the years. That's why he looks like that. But No, that's a good man. We had some really good days together in, in the past there, and, and it's really good to see you all. I'm sorry I forgot your name. I feel terrible. But that's how it is. That's how it is with me. Matthew 19, 5 and 6. For this reason... Uh, the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. We're going to be in First Peter. We're going to be all over the place this morning. We've got a whole bunch of verses to cover. And, and don't, you don't have to scrabble yourself to death to look for them. And we tried to put them on the board so you can write them down. But we're going back to First Peter 3. And, and we read in that 1 through 6 last week that... And we just touched on it. We didn't complete the idea of the role of the woman in the home and so on. And I do, a, a number of people came to me and, and nobody dogged me like that was too severe of a word or anything like that. But I, I know, I understand that different people have different experiences in their marriage life. And, and I'm real proud, those that have stayed married for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and more. Some of you ladies have had a tough road to hoe. Some of you men have had a tough road to hoe. Um, this one friend of mine told me years ago at a funeral for his, um, it was his aunt or something, but everybody kept going to the, to the husband and saying, oh, uh, we, we just meant, you know, we miss Aunt Joe. We just loved her. She was so sweet. And this kept going on through the funeral. Oh, she was such a nice lady, such a nice lady. And then finally the guy just in exasperation, this is a true story, at the, he, he said, you know what? I'm tired of you guys telling me how sweet Aunt Joe was. You didn't have to live with her for the last 50 years. And we laugh, but we don't know. We don't know what, how, you know, remember the old Charlie Pride song, wasn't it? Behind Closed Doors. We don't know how it is behind closed doors. That's an old one for you, sir, Tom. Uh, that was, <laughs> you know that one. But uh, it, it, we just don't know how it is once the door closes and we go on. We know we live far enough apart here that we can't hear the neighbors fighting too much. But we don't know how it is in the house. And so there's, a, there's a, a pressure on the woman, and there's pressure on men depending on the relationship. I do feel for you ladies that have had tough uh, growings up and tough circumstances in your marriages as you've tried to be a good mother to your children, a good wife to your husband. I understand that not everybody had the same uh, experiences in the home. Not everyone had godly husbands. Not everyone's had godly wives. And uh, that's the brokenness and the fallenness of this world, and we have to live in that and exist in that. And we have to know that as believers that someday it's going to be fantastic, but that day ain't today. The hope of the believers in eternity future, it's not today. It's in the future. And so this is the time that we live in and we exist in now. This is the training. This is the boot camp period. And in this time we have, there will be suffering. There will be trials. There will be persecutions. And in this time, the, uh, the thing to remember is the rich man and Lazarus and it's Jesus telling that as a true story that Lazarus had in Abraham's bosom there with Abraham, wherever Abraham is, speaking across to the rich man. And, and Abraham says to the rich man, in your life, you had everything. You had wealth, you had health, you had everything you needed. And the poor man, the dog was over there licking his wounds. You walked by this man every day. You, you can move over one chair if you want. <laughs> Vinny, you're too tall. Vanessa's like this on one side and like this on the other. Um, <laughs> move over a chair, hon. You'll be all right. <laughs> uh, but in, in this life, the rich man had everything and Lazarus had nothing. <laughs> but in the next, in the life to come, Lazarus receives what he, he, never, he never got here. But the life to come lasts forever. The life for now at best, maybe 80 years, maybe a little more. Not much more. To live to be 100 the last 10 years, I don't know. It may not be that great. But for eternity, that's a long time. So careful be in this life, how you treat one another, how you, how you treat your spouse and so on. 
because eternity is coming. But the impact of the verses that we read, the real, the real most powerful part of those verses comes at the end of the, at the verse there. And it says, in this manner, verse 5, 3, verse 5, or in this manner in former times, holy women who trusted in God uh, also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid of terror, and in verse 4 says, rather this decoration of the woman being a hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Maybe your husband doesn't recognize it on you. Maybe your children don't recognize it on you. My wife, I told you that, she was said for so long, she'd read some article about how women over 50 are just invisible as they go around and do their shopping and whatever, like they're just unnoticed. And then the other day, she was in, uh, in uh, whatever, she went grocery shopping for the first time since she's kind of lost all her hair and she's wearing a little thing on. And she goes, everybody just kept staring at me. I'm like, look, you don't want to be seen. Now you want to be seen. I mean, I can't please you, you know. Uh, but whether you're seen or unseen, who you are as a loved believer, a loved child of God, you're very precious in his sight. Though you don't receive the accolades, though you don't receive the atta girls or whatever it is, we say atta boys, atta girls, whatever you do, because you haven't received it now, man, sweat not that thou be not sweated. It's coming. It's coming. It's in eternity. And it's there. That's the one that matters. And we don't do our works as unto men or unto the praise of men, the Bible says, but we do it as unto the Lord. So in the things that you have to do, ladies, I'm sorry, the things you've had to endure, um, I've got to tell you that that scripture there, it's an interesting one. It says that those daughters you are, Sarah, like Sarah, though whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. I've got to tell you one little story of my mother, just to brag on her a little bit. She was a very, she's a very timid person. Like if you get her here and it's one-on-one, -on -one, she'll talk your leg off. But for her to be, you know... If there was any kind of stress or negative or whatever, she could just shut down and get, just get really quiet, very intimidating in a lot of ways. But me, my sister and I were, I'd say this happened about 77, 1979, something like that. I was probably 8 to 10 years old, somewhere there, or 10 to 12 years old, somewhere there. And uh, there was a place called Great Skate in Houston, just a skating rink. And when we still lived in Houston, it was not terribly far from our house, but we got to go there maybe twice. And I think this was the last time. And I, I don't think the folks realized how that area was changing and it was getting a little more dangerous. There was a little bit more crime and stuff. And uh, anyway, so mom had dropped us off at the skating rink and we were going to get to skate for a couple hours while she did grocery stopping and stuff. And so when she comes back, she told us to meet her outside. So we met her outside. It was those old kind of malls where the buildings were all in a row, but then they had an air-conditioned kind of catwalk in front of them. You needed air conditioning in Houston, that's all I can tell you. Anyhow, so we're in that catwalk area kind of in the front there. And some older boys, 18, 19-year-old guys, come over there. And that was in the years of the really long hair. And this guy comes over and starts talking to my sister, who would have only been about 13 or 14. But then he's, I don't know what he was trying to do to show off or something. And he whips out this pocket knife kind of waving it around and talking big about what he could do or what he might do or whatever and anyway so about that time they wander off because i guess we weren't scared or whatever enough and they wander off and they go into a walgreens and it was the old kind with the makeup counter and then the and then the the where you could get sodas and stuff on the other counter back in the day well they used to make you a soda and uh, or a woolworth or whatever and our mom comes up there and we're like, Mom, you won't believe what happened. This guy came up here and he, he you know, flashed his knife at us, you know. And he was, she goes, what? And she goes, where? And I mean, you just not, my mom is this very quiet, demure, low, just a low personality, just not this personality at all. And he was like, it was that guy right there. And he had real long hair. This is, the eight, this is what, in the 70s, parted down the middle. And mom goes in there, man, kicks the front door open at the Walgreens and grabs this dude by his hair and starts slinging him around and clearing off the counters in the Walgreens with this guy's head. And the guy's holding on to his hair and she's slinging around, you know, nobody touches my children. And then uh, the guy's like, lady, calm down. And the little guy with the white apron, you know, he's like, ma'am, ma'am, please stop. 
And she's, he's like, I'll have to call the police. And she's just wearing this guy out and screaming and then just kind of throws the guy down by his hair. And the guy likes all addled, you know, he kind of fluffs his hair. He's like, lady, nobody touches my hair. <laughs> and me and Callie are standing there like, mama just did. <laughs> she wore you out, you know. But when it comes down to it, man, don't, don't push mama bear there, you know. That, that, that JL personality that had to go in that time and stake the head, guy's head to the ground or whatever, and it's in you, ladies. I, I understand. That's good. God put that in there for the protection of your cubs and everything else. Um, but the woman that's confident in her Savior can do those things. And um, one who's not, I mean, it, you break that confidence in a person. You demean them long enough. You beat them down enough, and that they'll even break that part of that person. And, and that's, uh, that's a negative. So as this chapter continues, uh, we see the focus change to men there. And I want to read this part here, just uh, chapter 3, starting with, we already read about the ladies, and there's a lot more to be said about the ladies, and, and, and we'll have Mother's Day next week. I got a great, I mean, I'm going to tell you about this lady, you women will be coming out of here, whooping everybody in all the Walgreens around here, but it's a really great uh, true story about a lady from the, from the early days of America and, and how she defended her family, but um, verse 7, husbands likewise Dwell with them, your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to a weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love his brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the faith is, face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks who ask you a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear and so on. Um, in all these short letters, we saw, or we could see, we could go back through them, and we could see where Peter or Paul addressed these issues, well, we call them new believer problems. But it's really believer problems because as believers, there's a way, as Christians, there's a way that we should live. Many of us live in a way that is not necessarily biblical, but it's how we feel is right. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. They think that this is the right, it seems reasonable to me that I could act this way and I would get this result, or that I have every right to act this way. And uh, it's interesting that as we were preaching on that last week, Lenin was talking about, he just mentioned it, I didn't tell him what I was preaching on or anything, he just mentioned that how they call them machismo, but these men that are like macho men, we used to call them macho men, but uh, I don't even know if that animal exists anymore. But these, these, um, I mean, there's oppressive men, but uh, these guys where the woman is just supposed to serve them to death and so on, um, it's a very common thing there in the Hispanic community, you know, more so than in our community. But uh, how these pastors would even get up and really kind of beat the ladies down on this submission thing and... Um, while not, you know, giving them any hope, you know, whatsoever on in how they could survive in a household where you're just calling the man Lord all the time and shining his shoes and making his groceries and so on and, and you know, serving him in whatever way. So there's new believer or there is believer problems, but they come because believers have no understanding of the word of God, nor do they apply it to their lives. They know it, they might have read it, but they haven't made it and they haven't applied it. So if you can, you can know everything about my one uncle. He could tell you all about cars, everything about it. He could talk about compression ratios and how a cam works and everything. But I'm telling you, that guy couldn't change his oil. He was a nice man. He knew a lot about it. But practically, he was incapable of working on a car. So it's, it's people have that same relationship with God's Word. Practically, they might know about it. They may even know where it's found. But when it comes to application, there's no application in their life. 
I watched a Carol Burnett skit with Renetta. She's, she really wasn't doing too whippy last week. And so, um, and so she got to watching these old Carol Burnett's. And I was watching, you remember Harvey Corman and Carol Burnett and how funny they were. And, they, you know, the game was just to get Harvey Corman to laugh, right? And so Carol and Harvey Corman are, are having this skit. And it started off with he's on the couch watching TV. And she walks in and she goes, you know, we need to work on our marriage. And, and Harvey Corman goes, um, what are you talking about? we got a great marriage. And she goes, no, we need to communicate more. And he goes, we're communicating right now, <laughs> you know. I would like less communication, you know. And she, and she goes, and he, she goes, are you happy? And he goes, yeah, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I go to work. I come home. I watch football. I, you know, I play golf on the weekends. You know, you make dinner. Yeah, I'm happy. Why aren't you happy? And then she does the Carol Burnett thing where she kind of rolls her eyes around, you know, like, oh, thrilled, you know. <laughs> and, and, we, and what happened, what we didn't realize was happening was this subtle working. We, we make light of those things. But it was this subtle working of the evil one and, and whoever over a long period of time that told us that this is what marriage is like for everyone. And women are all unhappy, and the guys are all sitting on the couch like a king, you know, doing whatever. Like the guys put no effort out whatsoever, and all the women are just working like dogs. And in some cases, it may be true. And what it, But in the, in the amount that it was true, there was a greater amount where it was not true where men were providing for their family and loving their wives and loving their kids. But over time, this same picture, you remember Archie Bunker, whatever that show was, All in the Family, uh, it was the same thing. It was a whole show of this mean guy beating his woman down, beating his daughter down, beating his household down, you know, barely working and just not producing anything. And they made it look, they, whoever they are, made it look like this is the common denominator of our culture in the United States and women need to rise up and, and whatever. And, and it was a lie. And, and it made people ask themselves, well, why aren't I happy? I'm not happy because, you know, he's too happy. When I get him as unhappy as I'm unhappy, then we'll both be happy. And ultimately, it led to this incredible rate of divorce across the United States, higher even in churches now, they say, than in the unsaved population. Because we've been sold a bill of goods there. Um, the idea of this exaggerated idea of marriage, it was so promoted that both men and women came to the same conclusion that marriage was fruitless and pointless. And that it had no purpose. And, um, and that women should get loose from men in order to find happiness. Or men, women could have multiple men or multiple children with multiple men and that would make them happy. Or women could go into the workforce and, and climb the corporate ladder as high as men could. But even that was a lie. It was a lie because when it comes down to it, when you put men in direct competition with women, the women are going to lose every time. God didn't design it that way. He designed men to be protectors and caretakers and initiators and vision builders. And he designed women to, to become one flesh with those men and to be safe and protected and covered by the vision and covered by his, uh, what's the word, the cloak or whatever, covered by his, uh, I can't think of the word, but what's the word? His mantle. Yeah, who, who broke out the mantle there on me? Who said that? Oh, oh, Mr. Alva. Anyway, good job. That was the word I was looking for you. Covered by his mantle for his protection, for his care, for his love, for his faithfulness, for his loyalty, for his vision, for his ability, for his strength. But the, the world has told us that you can't trust a man for any of those things. And that a woman is equal to a man in all those things. And I give you transgender sports. Is it true? Because if it was true, then when we had transgender sports, all these women would be stomping the brains out of these guys that are running these races and riding these bicycles and swimming these swim things. It's not true. It's a lie. And it was sold to us over a long period of time. And now even today, women are seeking for equality and pay and all that stuff. And, and all they do is get beat down. They've lost the thing that they wanted the most, and they didn't realize it. They've been lied to for so long that they accepted it. And anyhow, but the godly uh, marriage of a man and a woman, the ideal promoted by God's word is going to work every time. But it takes both people. I mean, for it to be truly ideal, both people need to be seeking the Lord together. It's going to be very difficult when one is seeking the Lord and one is not, it's just going to be difficult. It's going to be rough. 
And, I, and, and a lot of ladies say, well, it just says that one verse about husbands right there. Husbands dwell with them with understanding. The whole rest of the book is about the husbands. It's about men being godly men. And if men live as godly men, a woman can have no fear of living in care, being cared for by her godly man. She can follow him freely knowing that he has her best interest at heart, her best home at heart. Remember we talked about that verse last week. A wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her own hands. A wise man buildeth his house, and the foolish man plucketh it down with his own hands. It works both ways. Um, a wise man is going gonna, is gonna to see that life and death resides in the tongue, and he's going to be careful with his words to his wife. That one, that one in, in Timothy where it talks about how husbands should dwell with their wives, and that word is like fine china. Like we should treat them like fragile fine china. And a lot of us treat them like Tupperware. And you're throwing them around and, you know, fill it back up and put it back in the fridge, babe, and I'll get it when I want it. Instead of fine china that needs to be handled carefully and wiped off carefully and washed carefully or it'll break. Anyhow, so the man has the power of provision, protection, of insistence, of direction, of vision, of leadership. And a wise man uses his powers for good and not for evil, just like a wise woman. A wise woman has great tools at her disposal if she uses them wisely. Um, if she uses them in an improper way and uses them to manipulate the man, to demean the man, to nag the man, well, then you're going to have a problem. And here's what I see as, a, as the ultimate result of what's happened. Where's my marker of marker and we start with the man. God created the man first. You can like this or not. I, I, this is the, what's in the book. I'm just telling you what's in the book. Read it for yourself. God started with the man. From the man, he created the woman. He brought the woman to the man, and they became one flesh. We'll make that a one flesh. There will be no pictures drawn here on that. And we'll keep going. And then we have the one flesh. Then we have the home. And then we have the body of Christ. And ultimately, we have the nation. Okay? The man, the woman, the one flesh, the home, the body of Christ, the nation. As this thing, as this thing is properly applied, it says it's a great mystery in Ephesians. Paul's talking about he's a single man. He has no idea what he's talking about about marriage. He has no idea. He's like, I wish you could be like me and just be single because I understand single. Right? But this is the plan. This is the plan that God came up with. And if we want to see a godly nation, well, then we've got to go back to the part where it's, it's not broken at the home. It's, it's, it's not even broken at the one flesh. It's broken way back here at the man. And then you take a broken man and you put him with a broken woman, and they've got a broken one flesh, and they've got a broken home, and then you bring the broken home people into the broken body of Christ where everybody's just allowed to run willy-nilly, say what they want, do what they want, have their own opinions, not applying God's word to it, and you have a broken nation. And you take a godly man, and you put him with a godly woman, and you have a godly one flesh, and then you'll have a godly home with godly offspring that'll make for a godly body of Christ and a godly nation. So whenever you have a brokenness at some point in this thing, like our nation is now, um, prior to World War II, this was somewhat in order. But after World War II, this all got broken. They separated the homes. One of the most terrible things they ever did to the black community was the, the what was the thing there with uh, Johnson, the, the great, uh, I don't know, something, Magic Cities or whatever it was. And, and it destroyed the black homes. It made the women dependent on the government. It left the black men with no purpose. And so it broke their family relationships, and it's, it's been generational destruction since then. And it was just a matter of time before it affected other nationalities as well. And it's affected our whole nation now. And we have broken homes, and we have broken one flesh, and we have broken women and broken men. And we're, we're seeing the end result of those. It was a terrible thing, what, what happened back there. But right before that, right in that time, is where they said, let's take the Bible out of schools. We don't need that. Let's take prayer out of schools. What do we need that for? And so, and so we took and we actually 
They actually went after families and divided families in order to control people. And now we see the end result of that. But a godly man and a godly woman working together in this, in this picture, in the design that God has, leads to a godly nation. And it can be rebuilt. The kingdom of heaven, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. If God's principles are applied on earth with godly men and godly women put together, and ultimately you have a godly nation. We've seen it. We've seen the suffering in the body of Christ. We've seen this huge divorce rate in the body of Christ. In one church I went to, for years we saw one person get divorced, another person get divorced, and it got like about 15 families got divorced over a period of about a year. And and the pastor was just beside himself. You know what do I need to? What do I got to do? And he started preaching on divorce is wrong. And it slowed down. You know, there's not a better one than the one you got, I'm telling you. The one you got is as good as it gets. Sorry. It's as good as it gets. Work on that one. There's not a better one. That's the one. You got a broken person married to a broken person. That's all there is. And when we can accept that in one another, we can begin to develop these traits in one another. We need to pray for one another. All these epistles where it talks about the woman, and then she needs to do this, and the man, and he needs to do this, all of them begin with this picture i want to show it to you it's in let me show you in first timothy first go to chapter six first six verse 11 now i know this was written specifically to timothy but a man of god can read this and apply this to his life and it can change him and it can make him into the man of God that can be used by God for the furtherance of the man, woman, flesh, home, body of Christ, nation. Verse 11, but you, O man of God, you, Markelson, you, Alva, Tom, Thomas, Charles, Lynn, you, O man of God, flee these things. He just told us all the stuff we're supposed to flee, the negative um, actions and the negative thinking, the negative words and the negative view of life and the immorality and the, all that, you know, whatever. Flee these things and pursue godliness, uh, sorry, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, not to make you into a big sissy, because the very next thing says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Have you confessed the name of Jesus publicly? Have you been baptized in the faith? If you have, then quit being a little, uh, you little silent uh, sissy boy over there, sit in the corner and begin to speak aloud the power of the gospel and what it did for you. I urge you. In the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. This is tough. It's going to take some effort. Which he will manifest, I'm sorry, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, in which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Commend those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, Avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by professing that some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Everyone, not everyone, most of those epistles have something very similar like this. Speaking of the man, the woman of God, to flee the negative things of the earth, you know, fornication, idolatry, drunkenness, revelry, and such were some of you, and so on. And to pursue instead righteousness godliness faith love patience gentleness goodness kindness temperance right they tell you to avoid these things and to grab onto these things and if the man the woman of god would do that go to colossians colossians 3 uh, if the man or the woman of god would grab onto those things your marriage would be way better 
way better because it quit being about you. Colossians 3, just go to 12 and 13. <laughs> it's so crazy. 12 and 13, by the way, it comes before 17 and following, just so you know, that's how numbers work. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must do also. And above all, but above all, these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body. Look at 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, whatever, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then what does it say? What does it say, wives? To your own husbands. And what does it say, husbands? Husbands, love your wives. Don't be bitter towards them. What does it say, children? Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And then fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. If you get all this other part put together, the kindness and tenderness and mercies and humility and meekness, long-suffering, bearing, forgiving, Christ forgave you, not having complaints, bond of perfection, which is love, then the submission thing ain't no thing. Then the care for the wife is no big deal. It's easy. Then the children, seeing that their father truly loves them and, and wants the best for them, though they still have old sin natures, though they still want to do their own thing and try to stretch their wings all the time, they're going to come back because they recognize that that father loves them and that he, he does care for them and he does want to encourage them. And, he, and they're like, the men of earth are not this way. The men of the world are not this way. And it doesn't make you... I mean, King David was a stone killer. It doesn't make you a sissy, but he was also writing love poems. King Solomon was, I mean, maybe he was assigning people to do the killing. He was a bad man. But when it came down to it, he writes Song of Solomon as a love letter to his wife. It was just, when you figure out the love part, the other part will come into, into check. It'll be functional. The home is the foundation of the body of Christ. When the home is all messed up, we've seen this, we've seen it here, and some of those people aren't here now, but, but some of them, they had, the, they had the roles swapped. The wife was making the call on everything. The man was the yes, dear man. And then when they came to church, the wife was not happy with the way the leadership was, and they're like, you can't tell me what to do. He can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. And the problem was, was she was, she had the, the man wasn't in the position of authority. The woman wasn't in the position of following. It was messed up there. And they brought it here and they were trying to mess it up here. Because it was broken. Because they're broken people. They were weak-minded people. And they couldn't, they couldn't see that it was their sinfulness that was causing the brokenness, that was causing the problem. And they just they just needed to get this part in check. If you're of the elect of God, it says, verse 12, first recognize that you're holy, set apart, that you're special. Everybody wants to be special. And beloved. It's, it's the beloved is more than loved. It's cherished. It, it's the special thing that somebody gave you when you were a kid that you still have today because you like it so much. And you still keep it. And your kids, why do you keep that dumb whatever it is? I keep it because my grandpa gave it to me. My dad gave it to me. My mother gave it to me. My cousin, who I really like, who's not here anymore, they gave it to me. And that's why I keep it. It's cherished. That's the word. Beloved. This is you. It, it identifies who you are first, woman, man, holy, set apart by God. So you're taken over here and you're put on the little, the little high place of prestige and you're cherished. And then knowing that about yourself, you can do these other things. 
this this requires humility. It says putting on humility. That's terrible, man. I hate being humble. It's hard to be humble. That old song, when you're perfect in every way. I know I'm not perfect. It's hard to be humble. It's hard to be humble when you know that you're right. Isn't it, BJ? <laughs> it's hard to be humble when you know that you're right, but sometimes you just got to let them be wrong and, and be humble in that. Because you're already elected. You're special. You're cherished. You're put up here. The Lord has a care for you that's higher than you understand or acknowledge. And um, I know some of you are struggling with that, and I'm sorry. And it comes in time. But the next verses, so you got all this about, he's talking to the church as a whole in 12 and 13, but then he goes right back to wives and husbands. Figure this out at the house, gang, and then when you come to this church, this church is going to blossom with love because you got it right at the house. Your kids are going to be more loving. Your, your wife is going to be more loving. The husband's going to be more loving. And it's going to be a true kind of love and not a fluctuating one. When the household of believing men and women apply the principles of doctrine given to us by God, they gain and they become what it is that they truly want more than any other thing. They receive a house of peace. Nobody wants to come to a house of contention. Nobody. Nobody wants to come home and, like we talked about last week, and have the wife pecking on them. Nobody wants to come home and have the man yelling at them, pushing them around. Nobody wants to come home to that. Men are, <laughs> men are notorious for being, uh, what's the word? Uh, tender, mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, with everybody except for their family. All day long, man, the motel just ate me alive because I, back when I managed the motel, because all day long I had to be nice to people, and they treated me like a low-down dog. The employees did, uh, the customers did, and they treated you like a slave. And I had to have a smile on my face, and, oh, man, you look really tired. How can I help you? And they're chewing on you. And, you, and then I came home, and I'm like, I'm done with the love. Everybody get away. <laughs> no talkie. I'm done. I'm done. I used it all up. And it shouldn't be that way. It should be the opposite way. Our family should get all the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, you know, temperance, and all that. Our family should get that. And the world should get the leftovers. Just ask him at uh, Chick-fil-A. They got the leftovers. So, you know, we'll, we'll put up with people just driving us in the ground all day, and then we go home and, and, and take it out on our families, and it shouldn't be that way. Go to Ephesians. Ephesians 5. So Ephesians 5, in my opinion, is one of the greatest books for new believers. Because it talks about the old man and the new man. The old man did this, put aside anger, now put on happiness. And the old man was a thief, steal no more, and actually save up money, give to the poor. If you had a problem with whatever, lust, then instead of doing that, put on love and so on. And it goes through this list um, of what the old man looked like and what the new man should look like. So he goes down this long list, and as he gets to the end of the list, we get to the family. Um Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That's today. Look at 521. Uh, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Again, we've just seen this long list, and I know it starts with wives. I don't know why they did it. They did it because it, they, they were just in a groove, whatever. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. This is critical. As you see this whole passage, it's talking about not just the husband, but the Messiah. So catch that. Don't get too twisted here, girls. The husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Who is he? Jesus, the Savior of the body. Who is he? The Father of the home is the Savior of the home. The protector, the leader, the visionary guardian therefore just as the church he's talking about both in the scripture therefore just as the church is subject to christ so let wives be to their husbands in everything husbands love your wives just as christ loved the church and gave himself for her. we know that christ gave his life on the cross for the church so the husband in true love will give everything up to his life for his home for his wife for his children that he might sanctify 
and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Christ, because it's he, but also the husband. He will sanctify his wife and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. I, what do you say? I kind of worry about the wrinkles I've put on Renetta, and you should too, because it says that I should have been daily washing her with the water by the word. I know I've showed you that picture before, but every day you get up and take a shower in the morning, and then you go and work, and if you do the kind of work that I do, sometimes you're covered with sawdust. I don't come back to bed that night with the sawdust on me. I go back and take another shower. And we should be doing that with our wives, washing her in the word. You go out in the world, you get the filth of the world on you, you've got to come back and get the, the cleansing of the word of God on you. You've got to get rinsed off. It's all over you. If you're going to go work at the rescue mission, you're going to get it on you. Some of those people smell funny. If you're going to go uh, work with in any kind of business, you're going to get the people of the world and they're going to chew on you and they're going to bite at you and they're going to be negative and they're going to want their thing and they're going to want it right now. And they're going to want you to fix it. And they're going to dog you. And you're going to have to go back home. And you're going to have to go find love for those people again in God's word somehow. And you're going to have to do that. And this man in the daily washing of his wife, he does it. And ultimately he presents her to himself. If you don't like the way your woman is, man, then go wash her up and present her to yourself. It's your job to lead her. It's your job to care for her. If you don't like the clothes she's wearing, go get the clothes you do like for her to wear. It's your job to work with her. She's a, a, a gift to you to be cared for. You're, you're caring for her and presenting her to yourself. Jesus himself, a glorious church, you, your wife, you have to present your wife, think about this, holy, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, without a blemish. You have to present your wife before God on that day, not just give testimony of yourself, but give testimony of your wife. Wife, you could help him by encouraging in this, Remember, you're going to have to present me someday, and you're causing wrinkles right now, Jack. So help me out here. Both sides. <laughs> Both sides. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. If I take care of my wife, then I reap the benefit. It's the hammer and the thumb thing. Stop swatting yourself with the hammer. When you hit yourself, you're hurting her. When she hits herself, she's hurting you. It's, it's the same picture. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. I speak concerning the church, uh, concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The picture of godly marriage is, is to attract the unsaved world to the kingdom of heaven. That's part of the picture. We have to develop our wives. The wife has to be willing to be developed. We have to develop ourselves because it will benefit us as we develop our wives. And we can do all that by doing this thing here of loving and, and learning to encourage our wives and so on. All those things that we read in Galatians of the, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is to be developed fully in the believer, and then he can apply it to his home, and so he can have the less broken man with the less broken woman, with the less broken marriage, with the less broken home, with the less broken church, with the less broken nation. And it'll be produced in our children. We'll get to see the benefit of the love for the wife in the children. Husbands, love your wives. Don't provoke your children. It goes all the way to 6.4. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the, one says fear, this says training and admonition of the Lord. Where would we find something back in the origin, origin that would tell us how we were supposed to do that? Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
and I'll show you. The Bible says, like a bird that strays from her nest, so is a man who strays from his home. Like the father who finds work and hobbies more interesting than his children and his home. What happens with the bird that strays from its nest? The other birds, the crows, the black bird, or the blue jays, and the and the black snakes, they come over there, steal the eggs, peck the eggs. Birds that are not of that bird variety raise chicks that are not their own, raise them in a way different than they would have been raised. They had a problem in Kansas with the, uh, they were having trouble with prairie chickens um, maintaining their nest because at a similar time of year uh, that they were uh, uh, roosting, the pheasants were having their egg clutches too. And they would kick the prairie chicken eggs out of the nest, and they would put the pheasant eggs in the nest. And the prairie chickens were so dumb, they were sitting the pheasant egg, and uh, and the pheasants were hatching, and they're trying to train the pheasants to be prairie chickens. And before long, there's no, there's very few prairie chickens left out there. Used to be millions, millions upon millions, like clouds, uh, like we see doves sometimes in the fall, and now there's hardly any, because the the prairie chickens were taking care of eggs that weren't theirs. Like a man who strays from his, uh, like a bird who strays from his nest, so a man who strays from his home. You're going to let another man raise your kids. You're going to let the culture raise your kids. You're going to let the government raise your kids. And then look what kind of kids we got. They don't know who they are. We went and uh, was over there with Emily on Friday. And all those little kids, man, there's some cute little kids, kind of roughly looking. You know how little kids are, little, the great unwashed, so called. <laughs> They're all hairs, all, you know, whatever, clothes, you know, button drawn. They're cute as could be. But every one of them, you know, I'm with this, this guy, he's not my dad, and this other guy, you know, whatever. It's like, golly, there's nobody raising their own kids. By God's grace, they got an Emily out there here and there that's, that's doing the best she can to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. What little things she can say in our public schools. Sad, man. If you're a father, man, as much as possible with you, talk to your children, man. Pour it into them and bring them uh, to life. Uh, this one man I knew, he was a very wealthy guy, and and he had a couple kids, and and they were the girl, the lady was constantly having more kids, but uh, they they um, he was like, well, as soon as she gets done with his kids and he's out of diapers, I'm, she's going to go back to work. I'm like, why? Who better to raise your children than her? Why would you you would send them to a childcare when you can raise your children in the in nurture your children? Why would you? send your wife who's doing a great job in the home doing a great job with the kids why wouldn't you want her there it's everything you want you got a house of peace you got kids running around they're glad to see you when you get home you got i mean if it's possible man god bless. if it's not possible i got it if you're rich and your wife can stay home man what a blessing see it as a blessing don't don't send your children to the world to raise them. The, Phil, the Jews did not send their kids to the Pharisees to make them good Jews. They raised them themselves. And that's what we're kind of doing sometimes. Be careful, men. Stay in your nest. Raise your children. Deuteronomy 6. This is God speaking directly to the people. So important. Deuteronomy 6 starts in verse 6. It's all way before that. We got the Ten Commandments again, the the preparatory fire, and then we got the attack, and it's in 6. And it says, these words, the verse 4 is the great, uh, what's it called? The hero, the Shema, yeah. Uh, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. Who is speaking here? Does anybody know? God's speaking. He's speaking to the Israelites. He's speaking to you because you are God's children. These words which I command you, they shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontless before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you do not build, and so on. Verse 12, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name and not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. Look at 7 uh, verse 9. Therefore, 
know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments, and he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. And in verse 26, nor shall fathers, nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. What if the fathers of the homes made their goal each day to repeat the Shema, to teach their, diligently teach their children and their wives all the things as they sit in the house, walk by the way, lie down, rise, all the time. We're going to paint a sign on our house that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to put the Ten Commandments on our doorway so that people know when you come in here, we believe that uh, Yeshua Hamashiach is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and he is the commander and ruler of this house. I mean, you can do it. It's not that hard. Let your kids paint it on there. Help them with the spelling. I mean, and it says in the last, and I, I, I fear we've done this, um, you shall not bring an abomination into your house. And we, we've done it unwittingly, man. The, we've brought the world into our house, and then we wonder why our kids think like the world. And you can think about that how you will. But, um, And just so you recognize that I didn't just make all that jazz up, the last thing I want to tell you, it's right there in Matthew. I know we've skipped around a lot, but go to Matthew chapter 7. And here's Jesus again prepping the hearts of men and women, uh, Matthew 7. 24 and he's talking about a man and I want you to see this guys that as men you are called to a higher standard than the world calls you the world tells men that it's a, it's very manly to sit in the dark and play video games for 27 hours a day and I'm going to tell you that's not what men do it says therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine 24 7 24 and does them, I'll liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Well, we know who the rock is. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the people were astonished at his teachings. Look. We know you've heard this. I'm sure you've heard it here or heard it somewhere else. But the rain's coming. The wind's coming. The storm's coming. The big waves are coming. Things are going to attack you and your home. And by home, I don't mean your building. I mean your marriage. I mean your children. The way of the evil one is to destroy the things of God. He doesn't care how men are destroyed as long as they're destroyed. He doesn't care if they're saved already. If he can knock out a godly man and lead him off the path of righteousness and take him down, Jimmy Swaggart had great influence, and he has no influence today because he can't keep his hands to himself. And, and you name the other uh, preachers of the day that we know of that fell into the same trap. When you're a man of God, you better know that the evil one is coming for you. And you better know that these hard times are going to come. Negative things are going to come to the house of the man of God. But if his house is built on the rock, and he understands the rock and the foundation that the rock sitteth on, uh, Jesus the rock, the foundation, the word of God, you're hooked onto that. We have an anchor from <laughs> that song. The rock is Jesus. Hooked to the rock. And you'll be fine. If you don't know about the rock, you've got to read the book to discover the rock. You've got to listen to good preaching to understand who the rock is. You've got to know the word of God. The devil knows it. He's got 6,000 years of practice to take down men. And you live here 30, 40 years, you have a few kids, and you're going to try and defend against a guy that's been battling against men for 6,000 years. He knows how every man that ever lived thinks. He knows every trick to trip every man. He knows every trick to trip every woman. He knows that, that uh, conversation is the, is the snare of women and that men are tempted through their eyes. And so he uses conversations to take good women away from God and he uses pornography to take good men away from God. He knows that he's got every trick in the book. You're no wiser than any man that ever lived. 
you, he'll take you down so fast. The only way you're going to be stable is if you're connected to the rock. If you're connected to the rock, man, marriage is going to be great. You get connected, tie your wife to the anchor, connect her to the rock too, tie your kids to the anchor, and you're going to be good to go too. And your kids are going to be those kind of kids that you can shoot out there into the world and have no fear that they're going to be producing righteousness just like you trained them because you raised them. And you taught it to them when they went to bed at night. And when they rose up in the morning, they walked by the way and they, and they sat at the table and you read the word to them. And they're going to know. And they're going to know what right is. Whatever God joined together, it says, let no man tear asunder. That was at Matthew 19. So, this is a trick question. I don't know if you can get it. But as a father, are you a man? Yes, you're a man. Let no man tear asunder. That means you have the power in your own tongue to tear apart the thing which God made, but he commands us to not tear asunder the thing that he put together. A godly man and a godly wife should not be torn asunder because it's connected at the cellular level, at the spiritual level, and when you tear it apart, there's destruction so deep that it can't be remedied. So don't torpedo your own marriage by your works or by your words. And that 1 Peter 3, 7, it ends with that your prayers may not be hindered. A man of God, he wants to see success in his marriage. He wants to see his kids survive and be successful. A man of God like that, he wants his prayers not to be hindered. He wants to be heard when he prays. When I got these these little hidden secret sins, the double life thing going. I kind of like how the secretary looks. Whatever you got going on in your life, I don't know what you got going on. You, can, you got your own thing going. I got my thing, you got your thing. Whatever that secret stuff is that's causing you to stumble, put it aside, repent, set it aside. Because when you harm your wife, you harm yourself. You harm your children, you harm yourself. When you harm your home, you harm yourself. Stop hitting yourself with the hammer that your prayers may not be hindered. When you go before God, he wants to hear from you. I mean, you could pray every now and then. Tucker Carlson the other day, uh, he, said, I, he said, I'm not even a good Christian, but he says, I'm begging you, everyone in the United States, he goes, I'm an Episcopalian, and he goes, they're like the sorriest Christians there are. He goes, but I'm begging you, everyone should pray at least 10 minutes a day for our country or for whatever. But men, you've got to get in touch with the Most High God, and you've got to speak to him. As a friend speaks to a friend, that's how Moses did. It says face-to-face. It, the word was, I saw the other day, it meant mouth to mouth. That's how closely he was talking to God. He was talking to the Lord, mouth to mouth. So we speak to the Lord mouth to mouth, and he speaks to us in return. And we can hear, we can begin to grow. We can begin to become soft-natured, tender towards our family and children, but yet defending our children and pulling the, the Sheila Ray Shackerly move of going ninja on the guy with the pocket knife in the Walgreens. Well, there's a place for both. There's a time where you have to defend the, the weak and the afflicted. And you'll have both abilities in you as a man of God. You can do it. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning and we bring this word to you. And we present it before you and I pray that it sinks down into the hearts of men here today and women and families and children. And I pray that children here would honor their parents. They would in their mercy, overlook the shortcomings of their parents and see where their parents tried to lead them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Lord, I pray for these young people that are here, Lord, that as they're in this age of, of tragedy that our nation is in now, the Corinthian age, Lord, that you would have mercy on them, Lord, that you would put Christian people in their path that's constantly stirring them back towards you till they get their feet under them and they wouldn't be led astray by the things of the earth. Father, I pray for the fathers here today that they would be loving and kind, long-suffering towards their wife, merciful towards their wives, patient with their wives, careful with their words. It says that out of the mouth produce uh, cursing and blessing, and it should not be so. May it never be with the men of our fellowship that we would curse and bless out of our mouth to our wives or to our children. Fix that part in us, Lord, that's so broken that we can't control our words. Have mercy on us. Lord, I pray for the women here today, those that have been persecuted by men, those that have been um, emotionally beat down or physically even Lord I pray for your mercy upon them Lord I pray for forgiveness that they can they can forgive those that have harmed them and that in forgiving them they can find freedom to love like you're supposed to love like you want us to love Lord I pray for reconciliation in families with children, mothers and fathers 
You said that in the last days, in the days of wrath, that fathers would be pitted against their children, mothers against their, their sons and daughters, fathers against their sons and daughters. I pray that that would not be so in this fellowship, Lord, that you would bring reconciliation to our families, to our parents, to our children, that our children would be merciful to their parents and forgiving them for, for their perceptions of how they were raised, maybe in a negative way. Lord, I pray for our fathers and mothers that they would ask for forgiveness where necessary with their children so that there could be restoration in the home. Have mercy on our country, Lord. A once great God-fearing nation now has turned its back on you and is seeking everything but you for its fulfillment, Lord. Have mercy on us. Lord, may you give us another day. Lord, I pray for rain now for our, for our fields, that our cattle are, are thirsty, our goats are thirsty, our gardens are thirsty, our grass, we need rain, Lord. So we ask that you would provide rain in its season today and over the next few days. Lord, I, I ask for the rain, Lord, and, and um, I just that, that new rain, Lord, that you promised. It's the pouring out of the Spirit. It's the same picture, Lord. I pray for that new rain on our fellowship as well. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. And we give you all the honor, glory, and praise for your care for us and your love towards us. Thank you for the food that we'll have today and the hands that prepare it, Lord. Have mercy on those that are here, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, God bless you all. I pray you'll stay and eat with us. And uh, do thank you for your prayers for Renetta. It's, it's working and uh, she appreciates it, and she, she, she recognized that y'all are praying for her, and we're really grateful for that. All right, God bless y'all. Stay and eat. There's plenty. And say hi to Vanessa. Make sure you give her a hug, and don't let her slap her kidneys too hard. She's really short, and that's what she does.